Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshenu b'mitzvotav etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk about courageous comfort tonight. One of our great callings is to serve God and to serve people. And it takes nothing less than love for Hashem and love for people to be able to pull this off. Our capacity to love is strengthened whenever we experience Hashem's profound love for us. When we receive comfort, for instance, during our times of sorrow, we'll later be able to comfort others during their times of difficulty. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses four and five, put it this way. The Lord comforts us in all our troubles and that enables us to comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Verse five, for just as the Messiah's sufferings overflow into us, so through Messiah, our encouragement also overflows. We will have troubles, that's a fact, we will suffer. Messiah's sufferings will overflow into us. That's how Paul described the process. We will experience suffering just as he did. But it doesn't end there. Encouragement and comfort also overflow. They will overflow into us and they will overflow from us to other people. And this, I think, is especially important for us to know when we're in the middle of trouble and the difficulty and the suffering and we're wondering how things are going to turn out. The promise of comfort is beautifully described in this week's Haftorah from Isaiah. Shalom and comfort will overflow even during times of difficulty and trouble. In fact, that's when comfort is most needed, isn't it? Isaiah 66 verses 12 and 13. For Adonai says, I will spread shalom over her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried in her arm and cuddled in her lap. Like someone comforted by his mother, I will comfort you. In Jerusalem, you will be comforted. That's the promise from the Lord. He will spread shalom like a river that's flooding its banks, and he will cause comfort to come to us. How will we be comforted? The Lord will comfort us. And then he asserts, you will be comforted. For those of us who have a close relationship with the Lord through Messiah, we can appreciate what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter three, verse 10. I wanna know Messiah and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. This intimate relationship with Messiah is precious. The power of his resurrection the word there is dunamis, the dynamic power of Yeshua's resurrection. This is something we want to know. And the fellowship, the koinonia of his sufferings. Koinonia, close, 
personal fellowship together, koinonia with Messiah that's connected to his sufferings. In all the different seasons of our lives, you and I can have fellowship with the Lord every season, every challenge, every new opportunity. Ecclesiastes put it this way, to everything there is a season. And Pete Seeger put the words of Ecclesiastes to music. The birds recorded it. Some of you remember, turn, turn, turn. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, and a time to weep. It goes on. And the song, um, for those of us who remember it, is, is such a wonderful expression from the scriptures. As we go through the seasons of life, this is what we can be assured of. God is with us. There is purpose in all the seasons and the times of life. And we can grow even during the times that are the most difficult. Sometimes our growth may be in our hidden parts, like the roots of a tree. Other times, it may be the noticeable or visible parts, like the leaves or flowers that are growing. But here's the basic process that I want to describe to you that connects to the Haftorah portion and the theme from the scriptures this week. The mercy and the love that is shown to us increases our capacity to show mercy and love to others. And the general principle is this, God can use everything that we go through. He can cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things? You may wonder. Yes, all things. He can call things that were not originally good in their nature to be turned upside down so that they can be useful, and he can bring good out of any kind of difficulty. The difficulty may not be good, but God can bring good out of the difficulty. All things can be useful. Many Messianic rabbis have taken note that our Messianic congregations are quite diverse ethnically, racially, economically, educationally, country of origin. This diversity is useful to God. It's useful to our country. It's useful to our movement. And it's a diversity that's shown in many different ways all over the world through Messianic congregations. Now, how can we be useful and why can we be useful? It's because many of us have experienced persecution or oppression or bigotry or misunderstanding. And that experience of suffering, that experience of suffering can help us develop as human instruments of comfort and reconciliation and healing. It's not just the difficulty, it's what can come out of the difficulty. You and I are not like tender greenhouse plants. We are growing in the real world of, um, of weather and storms and difficulty, if you will. 
you can understand that even the challenges that we go through, even the hard times that we go through can become useful to us. That's what this message is all about. And sometimes we don't recognize how God is working or how he wants to work. We may be focusing on something and the Lord's focusing on something else, something altogether different. I think that one of the most beautiful aspects of Yeshua's teachings is the way that he brings clarity in the midst of controversy. And he often focuses on a detail that others are ignoring or often he is ignoring what others are focusing on. And a great example of this comes to mind. It's the story about an ongoing argument among Yeshua's disciples about prestige and power and greatness. The Apostle Paul describes several different times when the disciples of Yeshua argued with each other about which of them was the greatest. When Matthew writes about the ongoing disputes, he focuses on one particular situation. We'll look at it in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Yeshua with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. And you know what? When the Jewish mothers get involved, look out. Yeshua says, what is it you want? He asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So here's the Jewish mother. She's making the request, do it for my boys. And Yeshua turns his attention away from the mother and addresses her sons. Verse 22, you don't know what you're asking, Yeshua said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Yeshua said to them, again, he's speaking to the boys, not to the mom. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. Now, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So 10 plus two, that's 12, the 12 disciples. Yeshua called them together and he said, you know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials dominate and try to subordinate them. Yeshua knew that all of them were wrestling with the same problem. And this is what he was pointing to them. You know how the rulers of the nations are. And he said that he was warning them that the same wrong thinking is trying to get hold of them. Now, Matthew in Hebrew from some of the old texts, which were originally written in Hebrew, as we understand, um, says this, the princes or the ministers of the Gentiles seek to subjugate, which, which means literally to push you down below them. And the great ones of them are seeking to occupy, and it uses a word, kovesh, that means to occupy, to conquer, to squeeze out. So we could say it this way. You know how the leaders of the nations act, how the powerful ones there and the ministers do. They may act like they're 
your benefactors, but look out because they want to push you down below them and they want to occupy your territory and your place. They try to take over and squeeze you out. That's the message. And then verse 26, here's the corrective. You know that's what they do. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeshua is ignoring some of the issues. He's not focusing on personality conflict. He's not trying to distinguish between who's right and who's wrong. In fact, he sees they all need an attitude adjustment. In fact, it's not just them. This is in the scriptures in order to instruct us. All of us have difficulty having the heart of a servant towards others. In this week's Torah portion, we read about the Lord's intentions for the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. And Peter, who, if you remember, is apostle to the Jewish people, he developed the same thing, the same theme in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession in order to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the call of the Jewish people. It's the call of Messianic Jews. It's the call of all people who are joining themselves to the Messiah and the Messianic movement. Together, we are called to proclaim the virtues of God, not our virtues, his virtues. And that proclamation has two elements. One is verbal, we declare it. And the second is demonstrative, we embody it. So we speak the message but we also have to live the message. And foundational to the proclamation, foundational to the verbal declaration and the demonstrative life is this. It's knowing that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not just other people who need to be called out of darkness. We ourselves have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not that we're so good to echo what we heard from Moses in Torah last week and from the Lord. It's not that we're so good. It's that the Lord is so good. And what is a royal priesthood? Moses speaks of it. The Lord speaks of it. Peter speaks of it. A royal priesthood is a nation that has an assignment. It's a priestly assignment to serve the nations of the world by telling them about God's goodness, showing them his virtues, and to help them to be reconciled to God. Priests help people be in a right relationship with God and with one another. And sometimes though, we can lose our way and we can be tempted by power and prestige and positions of prominence, just like Yeshua's disciples were, but we're called to be servants, priestly servants. There was an important period in ancient Israel's history when King David was ruling, but there was an extended famine. 
a famine. And King David thought that the famine was just a natural disaster, but in fact, there was a spiritual issue that needed to be faced. And so King David prayed, he sought the Lord for an answer, and the answer he got was very precise. Israel had mistreated the Gibeonites and killed them unjustly. Second Samuel 21. Now there was famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul, King Saul, and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. Verse two, now the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. The Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but they were of the remnant of the Amorites. But the children of Israel had sworn protection to them but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. So it's interesting here. Saul was moved by zeal, but zeal can lead to wrong action. Zeal can cause people to do the wrong things. Proverbs 19 verse 2 captures it this way, zeal without knowledge isn't good. Zeal without knowledge is not good. Impatience will get you into trouble. And if you are too eager, you'll miss the path, you'll miss the road. So many times people associate enthusiasm and zeal with right action, but that's not necessarily the case. It can lead to wrong action. It can lead to trouble. It can lead to things that God doesn't approve of that can have ramifications for, uh, for a nation or for a community that last into the years. Now, with that in mind, let's read from 1 John a few uh, verses that are very poignant to us and help us really turn our attention to the goodness of the Lord and how that affects us. First John chapter four, starting in verse seven and going through 11. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's so important. What's the origin of love? God's love expressed to us. It goes on. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here we see that the suffering of Messiah, where he became the atoning sacrifice and he was executed and became a atonement for you and for me. That's an expression of God's love for us. And when we recognize the origin of love is in God's love and even includes his suffering, it brings comfort to us. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
And then going down to verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, so are, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And then down to verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. For sure, these passages represent lofty ideals. And in fact, they're probably not even possible for us unless God increases our love beyond our normal limits. So at times like this, it's good for us as we're preparing in the month of Elul, as we're examining ourselves and preparing for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the days of awe, it's useful for us to pay attention to the love of God and the comfort of God and to pray in agreement that we could increase in love. So let's pray this way. Lord, increase our capacity to love. Your love builds us up. You loved us, and that's why we can love you and we can love other people. And Lord, you know this, our capacity is not enough. We are small, but we don't despise that smallness. We humbly acknowledge our limits and our condition to you. Help us grow. Help us grow, Lord, in capacity to grow in the purity of our hearts and our minds and our feelings and our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts and the thinking of our hearts. Lord, each of us needs you. We need your righteousness. We acknowledge that to you. We turn to you. And let this be our sincere prayer, Lord, that we would turn away from sin. We would turn to you. We would receive the love and the sacrifice that you have made for us through Messiah Yeshua. And we could be transformed, delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your glorious light in your son. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's bless the Lord with a traditional Hebrew prayer. It may not be familiar to you yet, but I hope it's becoming familiar. Baruch Hatov Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, the good one and the doer of good. And let us all say, Amen. In a moment, we'll be closing with Aaron's blessing, and then we'll have a final worship song. But first, would you consider standing with us financially? If this live stream is a blessing to you, or if our Messianic Jewish podcast uh, is a blessing to you, or if our Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary services are a blessing to you or any of our ministries, would you consider blessing our ministry? All the information is available on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. So let's close with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai 
Panave lecha, vayasem lecha, shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you, guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine brightly on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. And we can all say amen.